Thanks for listening. Peace.
Welcome to the Common Thread Collective here, MutinyRadio.fm. I'm Global Val. That was some music from Sea Star. Uh, Sacred Red is the name of the album, and you can find it at NectarianMusic.com. Uh, there's some amazing uh, goddess music from out on the Big Island of Hawaii. Um, I just had uh, was playing it at the end of Women's Magazine, where I got to interview E.K. Keith, who went to Washington D.C. for the historic, her historic Women's March on Washington in, in January. But here we are. It's the Common Thread Collective. It's March 3rd, 2017, and of course, I'm here. With Diamond Dave. Yo, and here I be. Uh, so glad to be here. And hey Val, hey world. We have a we have a uh, uh, an MC for another show, who I invited to be kind of a co-host today to talk to us as uh, this unrolls. Her name is Jen Eros. Eros, is that right? That's right, Jen Eros. And Jen Eros, of course, is a is a Greek word for love. Am I right? Eros, god of love, or sore backwards depends on the audience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, this, uh, this were, Could go either way sometimes. And the, yeah, uh, that's, that's what right. That's about. what life is about for sure. <laughs> and and uh, anyway, and EK was here for uh, the Women's Magazine. She's going to come back. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about, uh, we will talk about A, the, where she was at the Women's March in D.C. Mm-hmm. We're in the Women's March, an amazing outpouring of people right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Filled Market Street. From side to side, totally filled, and when they really and, from, and when they got out on Market Street, all the way from the from the ferry building to uh, to City Hall, it was happening. Something is going on, people. Uh, what was that, Bob? Something's happening here, and you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? That's a Bob Dylan <laughs> song. And I want and you don't know what it is. You're right, don't do you, Mr. Jones? And one of the things uh, that the well, I'd like to uh, uh, the music is going for the show. I'd like to dedicate the music part to uh, Buffy Saint Marie, who has a new song, a new uh, record out called, and she's been through it. If I go back to the early days, uh, the first generation of the new uh, folk singers, uh, which I mentioned, which I mentioned, we just mentioned Bob Dylan. We quoted Bob Dylan. We sang with Bob Dylan. Uh, for, uh, that uh, Fred Neal, Dave Von Ronk, and coming out of Greenwich Village, uh, Buffy Saint Marie. So we've been around seasoned for quite some time. So hey, Jen, Jen, what 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 would you like to see happening here? You've been doing a show for some time now. How long? Yeah, You're I got at Mutiny started. Radio? I got started here at Mutiny Radio in January. 
Okay. All right, welcome, right. welcome aboard. There were all those spots, open space, open oh, space. I'm like, gotta fill that open space, you know. Do. Absolutely. Nature abhors a vacuum, so it sucked me right on in along with 12 other shows. Nice. And so we're doing great here at the studio. I'm really excited for the enthusiasm. I'm really happy to see so many things coming out of here. And all of us are really having more of a unified voice because there's so much to talk about. And we take our little bits and put them all together, so... I don't care if you're listening to my show, Dave's show, Val's show, but listen to something because we've all got something going on. Roman was on here earlier, and I'm hey, hearing Roman's stuff. Roman's show, Roman. There's That's Roman. That's right. Hey, Roman. Thanks for everything you have to share. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, Roman, the weekly review. Yes. And your show is yeah, is one. Friends with Jennifits. Yes. Which is a which is a hilarious, perfect. <laughs> Perfect pun, really. Um, tell us about your show. It's Saturdays, 2 to 4 in the afternoon. What's it yes. about? Yes, and I wanted a hook like that because everyone throws around friends with benefits, but what does it mean to have benefits? What does it mean to right? have Right, and so I, I do. I get that immediate reaction. They're just like, I think I want to laugh. That sounds dirty, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> I just got it. Friends with benefits. Gen- yeah, Gen- and I've got all kinds of friends that are doing amazing things, so I love bringing them in and doing interviews. I have people calling in from as far as Ohio and Michigan and some friends down in LA giving me reports of what's going on in the scene there and so uh, when, all around. When, when, when is this? Saturdays, two to four o'clock. Friends okay. with Jennifer, check it out. I'm your hostess. Nice. So what is what are some of the friends call in to talk about? Well, because we've had these marches on Saturdays, I've even put my information out to certain websites and I had a call in during the no wall, no border or no wall, no ban March. Yeah. So, uh, if you guys check my archives, you can go back and listen to some of what they had to say out there in the scene. I love that part Yeah. because I love being connected. Even if I'm here in the studio, I want to be connected with a message that is moving out there, not just sitting on a shelf in a dusty old book. Right. So this is history we are making now. These are choices that we are, empowering ourselves with now and this is something i love being a part of and as soon as i noticed with the uh, inauguration i said i've got to have this radio spot uh, there's no way before he gets sworn in i'm not going to have a voice in this planet right on so, and welcome to the common thread collective that's the two of us thank and you others who'd like to join in and the common thread of course is uh, uh comes from these four lines that came to me and this is what we're about cast a wide net find that common thread let life flourish and then uh, don't panic just keep it organic so we're finding that common thread jen yes. and with your tuka your your saturday slot and this friday shot and how it is we can support one another love one another connect to one another and pass the pass those voices on so welcome 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 thank Look you how i she love it is. <laughs> I know, and and I, I I really feel you like with this, um, especially right now in these times that we're all part of, um, having um, an outlet, an outpost, uh, a platform like Mutiny Radio to express, and it's a free speech platform. Free speech. Exactly. We're not, you know, we're we just on the internet. We don't have federal government changes to it. We get to say what we're going to say. At That's least right. for now. Oh, and we will still out. find a way. Well, That's right. right. I'll find a way. That the, the, the last uh, here's with my life behind me. I'll find a way. But here we are now. 
<laughs> and here we are speaking freely. Yes. And here we are, what, that First Amendment right of speaking freely. Whatever spiritual, religious practice you bring, uh, bring to the that's fine. And also gathering, to assemble, to gather. And now we're gathering around the planet because the, 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 remember the founders of the Constitution, the writers of the, those Ten Amendments had no idea where it was going to go. <laughs> and the fact that now we, have a, now we have a way to go around the planet. And here we are, this, so welcome to the Common Thread. And back in the day, I go back to uh, a KPO radio, KPO 89.5 on the FM dial in the early 70s, from the 70s until the 80s. And the name of my show then was, and that came to the spirit, was One Struggle, Many Fronts. And indeed, what we're talking about with uh, the common thread, one of the common thread is one struggle. To be, uh, and then I add to it, uh, uh, which were with you two sisters, I'd love to say this, and with EK, I'd love to say it's another time of goddesses galore, sisters glorious. I see the women stepping up everywhere, and I believe I've, I mean, it's time for the dudes to step back because you're flowing around them. And I remember back in the day, maybe a little young, but back in the day of the riot, riot girls. You remember the riot girls? That was Bikini Kill, and their woman festo, in which they, their their line was smash patriarchy. Nice. And now, but now that smash patriarchy, what I see happening is that you sisters just flowing around it, and they leaving these dudes standing here with not much of a clue what's happening. Something's happening here. You <laughs> know what it is, <laughs> Mr. Jones. Well, there was a, a great sign that I took a picture of at at the Women's March here in San Francisco, and it was a guy holding the sign that said, "Men wrote history, and it's a shitty read. Let the women take charge." <laughs> nice. There nice. There you go. That's it. I say no more. <laughs> I say no more. But I think that's when the roles, hey sisters, stepping forward, and all I can do is this old guy, 79, is to step back and let it happen. Oh. And support, give some of my experiences, what I've been through. I was at the, well, EK was at the Women's March in DC. We were at this amazing Women's March right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and we were there the, the inauguration protests as oh, well, but up on California Street. But in terms of like the, the you're, we're talking about the intersectionality. We're talking about that more and with EK on Women's Magazine, how all these different uh, aspects of these different uh, groups of people throughout our society are kind of coming together to 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 connect. Um, but. You know, we do the same thing, like you were saying, Jen, like here at Mutiny Radio. We're all coming from a different perspective, a different style, you know. Um, you know, Women's Magazine, I do a lot of conversation. Let's look at the news and let's see what's going on, like kind of serious stuff so, <laughs> often. Um, common thread, we're, we're kind of all over the place. You know, there's music, there's poetry, there's activism. Um, but there's also a lot of comedy here in in the station. This week is the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. In fact, you're involved with that, people. Oh, it's to great stuff. You guys should not be missing it. It's $10 a show, 35 for a day pass. We got two days left. Get here. Yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, and you're, you're going to be the MC for this afternoon show, is that right? Um, actually, I'll be working the bar. So okay. come see me for well, your. <laughs> I get it. You know, you well, can well, donate $2 and up. <laughs> that's right. But you you also, I'm, I'm looking at your your um, your card here. You've got quite the intersection of creativity comedian, MC, singer, songwriter, artist, promoter. All, all Anything sorts that of things. connects the dots, that's what it is. And I just found one time, because I was even painting Christmas windows, and they'd be yelling at me for putting happy holidays, <laughs> right? <laughs> Talk about intersectionality. It's necessary in even the religions. We have so many churches 
off the same book, they came up with a million different ways to render it. So of the intersectionality of that, I really found that when I was painting those windows, I'd get into a mode where I'd step back and say, wow, did I do that part? You know, those really blended really neat, you know, Mm. the way the colors come together. And it was just that I was riding that wave of creativity in that moment. And so I think with any of these things that we venture to do and create, it's akin to holding the taproot to the universe. Once you have that universal truth, you can't go wrong. So we say happy holidays. Word. Hippie holidays. <laughs> Happy holidays and hippie holidays. I, I just don't want to limit it to one. You yeah, know, we have not. all these things to prepare for and celebrate. Fled, right. And let it flourish. There are many paths to the truth. Uh, and here we are. Uh, here we are. So, and people are welcome to come here any Friday, 3 to 6. The great thing about it is, and yours too, is that we'll be here at those hours. Not, not, oh, I'm sorry you missed it. We'll come back next Friday. That's right. Come a Saturday afternoon. Saturday. If you're around around my show time, 2 to 4, I love having people coming in and, and talking it up with me. Let me know what they're thinking. I don't care which side of the spectrum as long as you have some God, thoughts you man. need to share. Let's talk. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, like Dave was saying, you know, you're welcome to come down here um, to our cool little performance uh space here 2781 21st street we're right at the corner of 21st and florida streets in the mission district here in san francisco um like we're saying there's a, a big uh, comedy festival happening uh, it started two days ago and it's going for a couple more days through the fifth um pam is pam benjamin uh, host of pam tastic's comedy clubhouse for the past five years has put done an amazing job putting together these shows lineup. Yeah, Amazing. so all the, there's all these different themes to the comedy shows, which you don't often get, I think. I feel like it's I like... I like the warning about the underpants one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I read that one. It's on, Tell it. <laughs> it's on the card. You can check the card. Oh, the Mutiny Radio. Oh, the, fl- oh, the uh, flyer. It's kind of a, a light traffic day today, and we are ending early at 4.30 to accommodate the the shows that are happening tonight for the comedy festival. But, you know, we've had like full house here Last and week. people come through like, what's going on? We're like, Oh yeah, we've got an open mic. You want to be a part of it? You do something. Do you, is there, you know, you have some music or poetry or something. And then they're like, actually I do. Um, so it's, it's uh, certainly a, a serendipitous kind of spot. I met one of the neighbors and he happens to do litigation for uh, family rights law. You know, when they're doing the separations and you got to do the mediation on the kids and everything else. Mm. And he wants to use this place for the, exactly that reason to help strengthen him and the job that he does. So that was really cool. And I want his parking. So <laughs> <laughs> he's local. He's in a scooter. What? <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's the community radio. Station. We help each other out. We do. Good. Uh, we mentioned the singer-songwriters, acoustic, semi-acoustic units, spoken word, but also conversation, which we call intelligent conversation, about what's happening. And I say, uh, one of my life, I'm a lifelong student at City College. I'm also a member of the student government. Also, I've been there for a long time. So I can say right here, what is it about at City, City College, on the planet, I, no, at, the, at City, in the city, on the planet, and in the street. That's where we are and coming through the door. And here we have, the, today is the first day of the rest of our life. Hey, Jen. Yes. Welcome. Jen Eros. Thank you. Welcome to our crew. Yay, to crew I'm so glad so to be here. Yeah, Friends with Jennifer. Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. here at MutinyRadio.fm. You know, I wanted to, uh, do you have some Buffy St. Marie? Yeah. Let's hear it. And then what I want to do, let me tell you guys. I just came over here on, the, um, on, on my Facebook from the Washington Post. 
Here's an interesting article. It gets a little, it's a little on the serious side, but I want to read it because it's hot off the press. Washington Post. The web of relationships between Team Trump and Russia. It's right here. And so they're putting out the larger picture, and I'll be reading some of that. Russia, the web of relationships between... Uh, there we go. Perfect. Don't move it now. Okay, put on some <laughs> Buffy. And uh, she has a new record out called Power in the Blood. And if I can talk about somebody who's been around and around and around, uh, I was around with her in Greenwich Village back in the very early 60s when, she, when, uh, when the new folky that uh, the Dylan, of uh, the Dylan, Dave Von Rock, Fred Neal, Buffy, Buffy St. Marie, uh, the, the four names that I remember who really took it up to let me take it higher at a new level, new level. Take it away, Buffy. All right. And Buffy St. Marie is Native American, very right? Very much so. She is. Power in the blood. This is for Standing Rock. We will be 
need some new equipment. Hey everybody, that was some Buffy St. Marie sing our own song from the album Power in the Blood. That was a 2015 album, I believe. Uh, new enough. And uh, wow, what it, that was a, that's the most uplifting song I've heard recently, actually, um, considering all of the issues that uh, people are up against, uh, Native Americans, um, people up in Standing Rock in North Dakota, uh, the ongoing... Um, the, the, all the question marks hanging in the air over what's to, what's going to happen actually uh, about with the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, so Buffy St. Marie. So thanks for that call, Dave. Thanks for uh, bringing that uh, music into our world too. Oh yeah, let's specialize. Uh, let's specialize in our musical segments today in Buffy St. Marie. She was all the way back, and this is her new song, her new uh, CD called Power in the Blood. And as you see, she's putting out a, she's uh, speaking of a philosophy that we all share of coming together in this new day, a new day with the sisters stepping out. And here we are, and this is the message we like to put. And we're joined by Ellison, who I call the library lady, because she's indeed that at Mission Library. Indeed nice. that, and putting out the word, being an outreach person, because the library is belong to the people. So Ellison, what's going on with you? Well, um... The funny thing is, Dave, thing. that on my way over, I'm like, well, if I can make it to Mutiny Radio today, Val and Dave can tell me about the Native Nations March. That's right. It's happening on the 10th. Um, so that is next Thursday? I think the 8th is Tuesday. No, no, no. It's the it's Friday the Next 10th. Friday. Oh, that's Friday great. the 10th. Friday the 10th. Yeah, uh, apparently there are it's this huge uh, movement across the country uh oh. native tribes and and of of course uh, allies um are are gathering to march uh for indigenous rights for Standing Rock. Um I don't have the exact details of what's the the San Francisco or yeah. Bay Area actions. Do you know where I heard federal building, and um, right. it's good it's on a Friday because I heard it's at night. And um, all I know for sure is that last weekend they were putting together artwork at the um, Native American Center on International Boulevard in Oakland. So people can contact them for more information. Um, it's probably on Twitter and Facebook, but I heard federal building at night. Well, we'll be here. Yeah. We'll be here, and maybe, no, yeah, we'll be here, and perhaps we can get a representative here from the, uh, from, the, from the organization, which is called, it came out of Canada. Well, who are they? Native women. It's women again stepping up, coming out of Canada. What is that? Who are they? Um, you mean the busful? The women, yeah. They got the, turned away? No, no, this is a whole movement that started, that came out. They first went to Ottawa and uh, went on a hunger strike on the island, and then they put forth that message, that method, message of coming together that uh, Buffy did. Well, at any rate, uh, next Friday, we'll be here. We'll feature in whatever we can, with whatever depth we can, with whatever, whatever uh, representatives we can, to, to uh, after the show, to come and join them, maybe at the federal building and uh, march into the night saying we're all together, no borders. Like what I like to say is take down the walls, open the doors, get rid of the borders too. Families, bands, tribes, communities, collectives, I believe in that, but borders just a line on their map. I did find one thing here, um, uh, 
was waiting for my phone to download and it said idle no more sf bay ah that makes that sense said, i don't know more of i course. don't know more thank you they're the ones and um the event is on facebook um next friday federal building uh, right now it says five o'clock but always check thank you for bringing that up to bringing that to everyone's attention uh, yeah, there's going to be actions uh, across the country um, on that day, and certainly a really critical time to uh, stand up and, sh- and show support. I mean, the 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 attention uh, that Standing Rock got, despite months of mainstream media blackout, um, was is was really phenomenal. I mean, people around the world were rallying for Standing Rock, um, looking to it as kind of this. Uh, central <laughs> movement, um, environmental movement, cultural uh, heritage movement. Um, and of course, what we've seen recently with the camp being shut down after the new um, president signed an executive order trying to expedite the permitting process um, for the Energy Transfer Partners uh, company to be granted the land easement by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Um superseding um the environmental impact statement that was that had just recently been approved uh to be carried forward um and halted the 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 construction of uh the dakota access pipeline to burrow uh underneath lake oahe which is just upstream of the of the standing rock sioux reservation and we got to highlight the word reservation um as a yeah. part of our, our, our and history flows here. And into the Missouri River. And water for millions. Right. Burrowing, Burrowing. Uh, drilling under the Missouri River. Um, yeah, which provides, uh, you know, millions of water, uh, millions of people with clean water all the way downstream. Um, something around like 18 million people depend on the Missouri River. I mean, if anybody's ever taken a fifth grade science class, you understand that there's a thing called the water table, which <laughs> you don't see, what you don't see, wa- you don't what see water, water on, you know, on if it's under, it's underground. If you, if you're a kid in a sandbox and you dig deep enough, you can hit water because there is water underground. Um, and a really like, you know, kind of crazy 80s song all, all about the water underground. But um, you're going under a major river um, and saying, ah, it's going to be fine. We'll go deep enough. Um, it's just, it, it's just, it, it's irresponsible because these pipelines are, are bursting uh, left and right. And uh, as you're saying, we're talking, about the, we're talking about what's emerging as a complex network of pipelines taking Alaska, taking from Canada, the crude, take from Canada the gas, and bring it to places where then then can be shipped away and sold in other countries. So it's uh, this is a, uh, involving billions of dollars, mm-hmm. a complex network which can break any time it does, and is part and parcel of an opposite to uh, 
with the, the, with native people, the Lakota see as water is sacred, and water is an important part of the, the lives of people, and shouldn't be capitalized, turned over to the powers that be, as it seems to be, for the pure reason of making moolah. Moolah means money. Is that right? Right. And I think the one thing that stands out to me in all of this, for all the people that were against the Trans-Pacific Partnership because of the overreaching of other governments, other corporations telling us what we had to do, this is an example. This is a foreign country that runs, or a foreign corporate entity that is dealing with the pipeline that is going to be benefiting from this. This is nothing to do with our government. The fact that our government is forcing this issue against people that obviously have more rights than they do as far as the uh, land is determined. Come on in, George. Come on in, George. <laughs> My friend showed up. He's been on a bicycle ride all day. Oh, look, he looks like a bicycle guy. I love this. Hey, hey guys, this is another hey, friend George. in my neighborhood. Lean on in, George. Welcome <laughs> yeah. to the show. Are you George Osner? This, this is... Leaning in the window. Leaning I'm Jen the window. Eros. This is uh, Diamond Dave over here. And Val... I didn't get your last name to her. But oh, it, I'm Global Val. Global Val. Wow. Allison the Librarian. Allison the Librarian. <laughs> and we are talking currently about Standing Rock. Did you and, want beyond. To, and beyond. And beyond the complex hello, network. Hello out there in Radio Land. Yep, I've just come earlier from walking the dog for my friend who fell and broke his foot at Standing Rock. Oh, so oh, you wow. are connected. So, yeah, the name oh. of the show is Standing the Standing Rockers thread, Need Dock Walkers. The, the, the Common Thread Collective. In other words, what we do is cast a wide net and find the common thread. Yeah, well, there you go. So, so Rob fell. You know, was there rescuing a, a friend? Fell, broke his foot, and uh, his dog's got to be walked. So that, I'm doing that. That's my way of Yay. connecting. Cool. And we have our friend Feather, who's a Rendell family with me. I know who's a really hard worker. Who's been there all uh, winter long, winter long at Standing Rock under the weather. And I think she's back. I'm going to try to find her. She calls here regularly with a report of looking around and seeing how it looks like. So uh, this is uh, this is what, what we're realizing. What we realized for quite some time is that uh, this uh, we're we are being heard around the world, on the world on the internet, and that we have our first amendment right to speak freely. And this name of this show is the Common Thread Collective, about finding that common thread and letting life flourish. You uh, letting life flourish. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, Dave. Well, welcome. We'll, we'll put it to use. Go ahead. You mentioned it. spills. Um, there was a big pipeline explosion and fire during the Standing Rock um, siege, and um, it was terrible. And I don't think it was reported very much. Mm-hmm. I, well, it's like it's like Jen was talking about. These are these are um, these are private interests. You know, I mean the the uh, Trans Canada um, Corporation who was uh, trying to construct the the Keystone XL pipeline and then were subsequently denied when President Obama vetoed the plan after a long. Um, you know, longstanding uh, actions that were that were carried out throughout um, the U.S. and Canada trying to block the Keystone XL pipeline, and because of our international trade um, uh, laws at this point in time, that means that Trans Canada 
has sued the United States government <laughs> because they weren't allowed to build their pipeline. So that was kind of more of what the, the TPP was supposed to almost uh, expand, which is just giving corporations more power, giving them the, the power to, or the authority to um, sue uh, uh, governments of other countries who had made laws to protect the environment or protect workers, anything that would stand in front of their profits or future profits. Um, so that's what the TPP was all about. Now, uh, you know, this the current president has, has taken it off the, the table. Um, so, you know, it makes it look like a good thing, but, you know, there's just going to be something else that we have to keep uh, keep our eyes open for absolutely um, so that's I just got the, let me uh, uh, yeah what's up I Dave it just came up we're using these uh, uh, this kind of program is kind of new because we can use all of these new methods to communicate where we were just streaming live live on the Facebook page or on your page so people could see it yes uh, stuff is coming in and I'd like to where we're thinking about where we go from here this has just came into the Washington Post and the Washington Post, now the subtitle, something for the Washington Post is Democracy Dies in Darkness. And the Washington Post has been under kind of siege, along with the New York Times, by T Team Trump. And here's the, one of the reasons. Uh, hey, let me read this. I will read this. This man, so you can see it, he's the, he's the Russian ambassador to the United States. Look at this fellow. Oh, my goodness. Check this out, Washington Post. And the headline is, just came up, Team Trump has a complex web of ties with Russia. We were just talking about this web of ties was expressed through these pipelines, a web of ties, the pipeline, but that's just the literal, literal example of the metaphor. Let me read some of this. I mean, I'm going to read some of this. Oh, by the way, the spill was in Alabama. Thank you. It was. We're all doing our research. <laughs> I know, we are unplugged in. Dave's got his phone in his hand, scrolling around. And just while he finds the spot where he wants to start, uh, I want to remind people to do come out and join us here at Mutiny Radio. We're here Fridays from 3 to 6. Um, you're welcome to come in, play music, read poetry, talk about your activism, um, or, or just your take on what's going on in the world. And, um, and uh, we are ending the show early today at 4.30 because you should come down and, and be a part of and support the station and have a good laugh because Lord knows we all need one these days. Uh, the Mutiny, second annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, which is happening uh, tonight, uh, tomorrow and the next day and uh all the shows are like an hour long um it's some underground poets from across the country who have come all the way to san francisco of course we have a lot of local folks coming in too uh shows are ten dollars a show or you could if you want to laugh a lot on saturday and sunday uh you should get a day pass for was it 30 35, 35 for a day pass and you can come to all five shows each day um it's going to be a good time and uh we'd really love for you to come down and have fun and also support this station uh, so hey do you live in san francisco well i don't i live in uh, san anselmo Okay, well, you're always welcome. I'll, I'll just say, well, this is uh, what we're thinking about. Here's the article. Bring some comedy to this. Although what uh, Lenny Bruce, the Lenny Bruce uh, the showed is that the, comedy, that the humor comes out of the situation. And you just have to look at it. And here's the headline. Team Trump 
has a complex web of ties with Russia. And here's the Russian ambassador. Look, he's a fat guy. Oh, my goodness. Now, they, But is, is he bigger than the Trump piñata? You guys are bringing the piñata. Three, uh, right? three main, uh, three main Russian entities: Ambassador, Ambassador Sergey Kislyak. The Kremlin and Russian business interests need to be evaluated in relation to the Trump networks, starting with the president. Where is it? Starting with the president, and they're showing that all these various net networks. Uh, the, the the networks, all these people, but right after the election, all these members of uh, of uh, Trump's campaign each had their own connections with uh, with uh, with uh, the Russians, with Russians starting with uh, starting with uh, uh, Putin and going down. And, and uh, wait, and anyway, I lost it again. But anyway, so that's what we're. Uh, and like the big news of the week is that the current uh, recently confirmed Attorney General of the United States, Jeff Sessions, who was a senator before uh, assuming this post of Attorney General, um, had l essentially lied under oath during his confirmation hearings to become Attorney General, um, basically saying that he hadn't talked to any of these Russian ambassadors who had visited um, the visited Washington, D.C., and um, and that he hadn't uh, had conversations with them about uh, anything substantial. Um, and then it comes out to say that actually he had two meetings with these Russian ambassadors who came. Um, and, you know, we imagine that uh, they weren't just, just talking about golf. Um, so uh, he's, he's in some hot water right now. But, um, you know, I, I, I was thinking about it last night. You know, I think a lot of us have this, you know, the stereotype of um, politicians being liars, um, you know, but in this case, I think we see a, a group of really bad liars. They get caught. <laughs> that actually get caught, which means, like, which has got to mean something. It's either they've, uh, they've rattled the establishment, uh, the, the, you know, the, the deeper powers enough that they're actually getting, uh, you know, kind of uh, brought into light, or it's because the American people are paying attention, uh, which is, may not have been true for, for quite some time. So uh, keep holding everybody's feet to the fire and demanding uh, truth and access to information. Um, and also, you know, it's a, the, uh, there's a lot of distraction with, you know, our, 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 the president being, you know, just so f you know, flagrant in all of, in all of his uh, statements. Um, but uh, there's a lot of uh, things going on behind the scenes. Um, so don't get too distracted by the shit show uh, up front. And we got we to gotta keep, keep uh, tabs on what's happening um, fact, right yeah. behind the curtain. In fact, yeah. they just walked in the door. There's a man who make, make what he does. One of the things he does is pay close attention to what's going on and figure it out. And his mind, he could come on in, brother. And while he comes in, let me join him. I found the... Uh, I found that this is the Washington Post. Well, wait a minute, Ellison. Uh, he's going to sit down, but do you yeah, have a seat? Is there something you particularly? Uh... Well, I found out a little more about the march. There's okay, a there is a website, and um, yeah, it looks like it is definitely next Friday. 
The website is nativenationsrise.org. And um, there are a lot of other events coordinated with that. There was actually something this afternoon in Oakland, divest from Chase. That's spreading nationwide. Um, several cities and even larger entities are asking for county or statewide divestment from Chase, Wells Fargo, and Deutsche Bank. Um, we might also ask the president if he should still be investing in such a dangerous enterprise <laughs> as an an underwater oil pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, library time. lady. Yeah. We need we need people who can Actually, have who bring yeah. in the references. So thank you for that. Again, nativenationsrise.org. Uh, big actions happening across the country and probably around the world. Um, certainly around uh, North America, which yes includes Mexico, um, on Friday, March 10th. So um, stand up. And we'll be talking about this a bit, but I just want to drop this now because it's a mind. The, the, the president, uh, I'm talking about Trump, has issued a new set of guidelines as far as, far as uh, uh, kicking the undocumented 11 million over the border. And uh, at this point, it turns out almost anybody can be deported at any time. And also, that he's asking that 5,000 new members of the uh, Border Patrol, they need 5,000 more, he says, and then, no, then 10,000 members of, I, of ICE, mm. whose job is going to people's houses, dragging them out, throwing them in private prisons, and then over that border, over the wall that he says that he's going to build. Right, so and they, that's even assuming that he, that all of these undocumented people are from Mexico. I mean, there's people who are come up from Central America, from unstable countries, unstable because the United States was doing horrendous uh, manipulations throughout the 1980s. Thanks, Ronald Reagan and the CIA, um, and and you and 70s and 80s. Um, so you have all of these people, these poor people, coming, you know, up to the United States for a new life, uh, a, a country that has traditionally been um, a place of, of refuge a place of opportunity or at least in the in the american dream sense it's not always uh easy of course um but right now uh, it seems like the most vulnerable people um are being targeted by the most uh wealthy and influential people and uh that's certainly not something that we can um continue to live with and accept any oh, sort of escalation back. Of. welcome back ek hey dave what's hey, brother, up uh, yeah, we're just cruising yeah, along. Gary here. Hi, how are you? Okay, we're cruising along. I'm gonna take a little. We'll take a little break of listening. I found this article. This is uh, just out from the Russian Post mm. about about the ties between uh, Russia and uh, and Putin and his uh, inner circle. I mean, right? Uh, Putin and Trump, the two inner circles coming together. I'm talking about the KGB, the Russian secret police, out of which uh, Putin came. He was a lifelong member of the KGB, still is in a way. That's the Russian secret police, am I right? Yes. Yes. Here's the article. Let me read this for a while. In the most abstract sense, there's nothing noteworthy about a government official meeting with an ambassador from a foreign country. When such an interaction becomes important is when... That official is an ally of a presidential campaign that's got a complex set of possibly inappropriate relationships with other representatives of that ambassador's country. Is that right? Sounds mm -hmm. sounds right on target. Mm -hmm. And when that official 
And when that official under oath says he did not have communication with representatives of that country, we're talking about the president uh, with that, uh, did not have communications with representatives of that country. What we're going to endeavor to do here is to parse out, parse out the complex set of relationships using the information we have at hand. In this case, as you've hopefully ascertained, the country at issue is Russia and the campaign that is that of President Trump. President Trump. The official, of course, is Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and the ambassador is, at this point, the linchpin of a lot of the interactions between Trump and the rest of his team. Is that right? Very true. Very true. Well, there we go. You can find this in the Washington Post. This is why uh, why Trump goes nuts and pulls his hair when he talks about the media, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Washington Post, BBC, yeah. New York Times, CNN, uh, all blacklisted by Trump. Now. All blacklisted. He hopes that the that the base in the red in the red in the red states uh, will just say that's right because uh, here it is. We'll consider three Russian entities: one, Ambassador Sergei uh, Kishak, a Russian man, Russia's man in Washington. To the Russian government, Kislak is part of that government, of course, but we use this as a shorthand for interactions with President Vladimir Putin or other government agencies or may or not be known. Included here is the RT, the Russian-backed and, uh, Russian and based television network. So they're the ones who are right there at the, uh, in the uh, they're the ones, RT, remember that, because they're in the, the press conferences and are, asked, and are called upon to ask the questions by Trump. Am I right? Very true. Uh, Russian uh, business interests. This encompasses everything from Rosneck, the Russian oil giant, mm-hmm. who I'm sure are building their own pipelines. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of their only industry. You know, I mean, this whole idea that Russia is like this great, like threatening enemy um, is kind of a it's it's a built up notion. I mean, most a lot of people in Russia are very poor. Um, they have sent, you know, the the petrogas is kind of their only main uh, resource. Um, right before Obama left office, he deployed the biggest number of American troops to um to the to Eastern Europe, uh, lining up a, along the the Balkans, um, you know, as as just in case you know there's some threat from Russia. But really, that itself is a threat to Russia. Um, so there's a you know it's be, it goes beyond this is this whole administration um, as to you know folks who are going to benefit from war, um, profit from war, um, are setting everybody up to, to have more enemies than we actually have if we look at it from a human perspective. War makes oil prices higher, circling back to Rosneft. Rosneft. 20% changed hands in December. The state sold 20% of Rosneft, or $19.5 billion, to a Cayman Islands company whose owners are anonymous in December. Well, I don't think I live in the Cayman Islands, so we can start with that. But Donald Trump has bank accounts there, possibly. Oh, we we would... We, have, we don't even have uh, we don't even have uh, uh, Trump's uh, Trump's tax returns. Yeah, that's kind of a classic. That's uh, the American ha- side. Tax haven. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. start at the top. Mm-hmm. The Cayman Islands. I mean, you guys saw the firm, right? I'm just yeah. <laughs> and as for the American side, let's start at the top and move outward through Trump's network. And you see this picture of the network right here. If you go to the article, this just came out. Washington Post. It's right there. And there's Trump there, and there's the, the ambassador. So let's start at the top. Donald Trump, president. Trump's connections to Russian business business interests are murky. 
Thanks for the decision Murky. not to release his tax returns the during the campaign. There's, we found the swamp. We know that the, that the Miss Universe pageant was hosted in Moscow when Trump owned it and that he earned millions of dollars for doing so. Uh, Interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating. That's what I'm saying. These guys are like the worst po- political totally... politician liars that we've seen recently. Yeah, they're, they're not really good at lying. They're not. They? It's really surprising. They're no. really Actually. bad liars. They think, well, oh, they, everybody else is a liar. We can just lie used to being politicians. But, but it's they're level after level. That's they're, right. There's level. There's some things which we think are lies, but in fact might be the stuff they're putting up there with the real lies behind the lies. Yes. Behind the lies. Yes. Right? The, yes. So it's a. Mm-hmm. We know too deep that is repeatedly <laughs> repeatedly explored real real estate deals in the country. It's not clear whether Trump has met Kasiak, though the ambassador attended a foreign policy speech Trump gave last spring and the reception that preceded it. We know now that Trump has been in communication with Putin, but he also claimed to have been in contact with representatives of the Russian president and Putin himself before the campaign. Surprise. And here's bingo. Bingo. And here's Jeff Sessions. We can be bingo after bingo. This is an amazing article. To put it together. We're going to have to see what uh, what uh, Trump's... Uh, Trump's uh, Don't piss off the Washington Post is the moral of this story. Yeah. Jeff Sessions, the next level is Jeff Sessions himself. I mean that real old guy who's supposed to be the next attorney general, the next attorney general, right? As he went, he's, the classic disenfranchiser uh, of, Jeff of the Sessions, South. Jeff Sessions, attorney general. He's, he is the attorney general. <laughs> Sessions' uh, relationship with the case is well established by now. There's a good point at which to note, though, that the existence of that relationship does not... In, any way imply wrongdoing by Sessions. It's just part of the network we're establishing. There's Sessions. Jared Kushner, advisor. Trump's son-in-law, Ivanka's husband, also met with Kuznick during the period between Election Day and the inauguration. <laughs> what could possibly post. go wrong? But he did not have sex with those Russians. Oh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, are they holding it? Is that the stuff they're holding over Trump's head? That is to, he to could be, care to be less, I think. Kushner also had some loose connections <laughs> He's not to ashamed. Russian business interests, according to the Times, New York Times, including an investment from Texas text investment investor Yuri Milner in a real estate investment company and a friendship with the wife of Uliarch, Uliarch's Roman Avrovich. She was invited to the inauguration as Ivanka Trunk's guest. Uh. The next one, of course. Do you Thank think you. she wore Valentino? I know she wears or Ivanka. Chanel. Oh, she wore Ivanka <laughs> from Walmart. Maybe. I saw I saw a dress at Ross, and I picked. I like was looking through the rack, and I'm like, huh. And I looked at it, and I looked at the label. I was like, eek! Like, <laughs> I'm not trying that on. <laughs> Definitely doesn't fit. I, I, yeah. I think Ross is having a Trump section fire sale. I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> Nordstrom dropped her. They're cutting all the tags out yeah, so yeah. people will buy them. <laughs> the lines it's are being not, drawn, people. It's not Ivanka. It's Ivanka. And the lines Ivanka. are flexible. We think we know, but we don't really know. Do we know we know? We're just laying this out now. This is Is that like the known unknowns? Now, of course, we have now after... Now, uh, Michael Flynn, you know, he was uh, Trump's right-hand man until his game was... Uh, his game came out. But now we got Sessions, who apparently was doing the same thing. Am I right? Well, 
Possibly, possibly not. We don't know because he didn't admit it happened when he was under oath in his confirmation oh, that's right. hearing. That's right. Thank you. Which, oh, those which is Russians. Called those perjury. Russians, yes. That's sometimes called perjury when you tell lies under oath to uh, Congress. E.K., yeah. Jeff Sessions would say that depends on your definition of is. <laughs> I thought that was Bill Clinton. <laughs> what is happening? Well, this is fascinating. Is. You're totally, I have a fellow sitting next to me who's totally Yeah, we're talking to Gary here, by the way, the from Trump Who rabies, a la Trump rabies. Okay, the next character, of course, is Michael, Check it out. Uh, Michael Flynn, who had been, I remember, had been, but is now separated. So Trump's a right-hand man for many, many years. He had a former national security advisor. Flynn had a number of contacts with Kisnick after Election Day, including attending that meeting between... He was there at that meeting between the ambassador and Kushner. Flynn was forced to resign his position after it was revealed, revealed those comments about the content of those meetings to Vice President Pence. Oh, my God, Pence. That stuff uh, were falsehoods. <laughs> <laughs> after resigning from the Defense Intelligence Agency in 1914... Flynn was invited to give a paid speech to the celebration of R.I. The R.I. is what? The Russian, uh, it's, it's, uh, Russian news group, right? R.T. 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 Keep us in the mood. Yeah. A paid speech to the celebration of R.T. He did so and joined Putin's table for a related banquet. We're coming to eat. Coming down. <laughs> and the next one is... Feast. Yeah, what the, it's Donald Trump Jr., the son. Now yes, we're getting even closer. Yes, yes, the great lion killer. The younger Trump, that's right. We have pictures of him killing lions. Yeah, for, tro for trophies. It's, it's, oh, I thought yeah. it was for his dad's hair piece. <laughs> Maybe so. Okay. All right, I got to not let you do this. Much. That is so sad. What have those lions ever done except be endangered? Said, yes. The younger Trump visited France last October to speak to an obscure Russian group. <laughs> to, in, in 2008, uh, Don Jr., Obscure. who works for the Trump Association, of course, famously told a real estate conference that Russians make up a pretty desperate cross-section of a lot of our assets and that we see a lot of money pouring in from Russia. From oil, Russian oil, that's what they have. What, what do you think? Pouring in. Pouring in. Pouring in. Oh, no. Uh -oh. oh, goodness. Like through a pipeline. <sighs> through a pipeline. <laughs> Through Crimea, which is now illegally annexed from right. Ukraine. Uh, dismembering Ukraine to avoid paying taxes on 55 billion metric tons of natural gas going to the Mediterranean through Turkey and Crimea. The Nord 2 pipeline. You can Google the Google map proposal. It is why Russia took Crimea. It is why Russia committed the ongoing crime against humanity of fomenting civil war in the neighboring state of Ukraine, why Russia inadvertently triggered the civil war in Ukraine that deposed their puppet Yanukovych over natural gas pipelines that will transport 70 times as much as goes through Ukraine today from Russia to Europe. Word. So it's a, we're uh, we're putting forth, making some uh, connections, and these are connections to the Washington Post, and these are connections. I think what what we're doing here, brother. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Is that every week 
we're, we're, we're investigating these things and avoiding something which you can see on uh, some of the right wing, which is called conspiracy theories, which are set to confuse you, yes. set to yes. uh, the guy Jones and so on. But I think we can do this. There's enough stuff happening that we can put together that as this develops, we can begin to put it out there in a good way and do it not in the way of conspiracy theories and weirdos and Martians from outer space and Jews and all of that, but try to get the real emergence. And this will be the only, this is mutiny radio, this will be a mutiny just be putting out of this. And I think this is something we should, uh, we should, uh, we should put out here because we have our free speech rights. What do you think, brother? Absolutely. If I could get 45 seconds for SCOTUS 16-907, the writ of mandamus in front of the Supreme Court on February 17th, the federal government waived its rights to reply in writing by the February 21st deadline on February 18th. POTUS Trump began his re-election campaign. We have until... Uh, March 17th before the Supreme Court meets, but the most important development occurred in front of the Joint House session that heard Donald Trump speak. Three of the eight sitting justices snubbed. No shows. The five, very undecorously, historically histrionic, not stoic. Uh, the three liberals looked like they had very, very bad diverticulitis. Uh, Justice Roberts was not amused, not stoic either. Justice Kennedy was far less stoic than Justice Robert. I count eight out of eight unanimous to nullify this presidency, which is what the written of Madamus asks. I hope they will nullify the Electoral College decision and put Hillary Clinton in charge and Donald Trump in chains. Well, time will tell. And it's uh, two time weeks. will tell. Well, two, two weeks. weeks, but things are happening these two weeks, and it will become clearer. And I'm so glad you're here to uh, to join this conversation as we weave these uh, various uh, weaving a tapestry and we casting a I have a poem, weaving a tapestry, casting a spell, castaway sailor on a diamond hard sea, a mother's cry in the southern breeze, and what we're doing now, dancing sideways down the ribbon of time, the path they had lit by the echo behind. And the echo behind is all this stuff that's coming out now, all this stuff, they have, we have the president, we have a Republican president, we have a Republican Congress and Senate that seem to be jumping, and people are starting to jump out. They're saying, this boat, we better get out of this boat because it's going down. I think that will come more and more clear. Do you think so, brother? Going down now, yeah. going down, yeah. Well, keep it, time will tell. Time will tell. Well, we're going to be uh, so glad to see you here, but we're going to be cutting out at 4.30. Uh-oh. And uh, because there's other things, the comedy festival, this is kind of the beginning of a comedy festival. Well, it's right in the middle, actually. It started a couple of days ago, but oh, we have right. today, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, there's five shows every day that you could come to. Um, Ten bucks a show. It's an hour-long showcase. Um, if you really want to come and like hang out all day, do it. Um, it's 35 I thought it was 30. Jen was saying it's 35, but um, for a day pass. Um, but it's it's certain to, uh, you know, help us help you kind of shake off uh, some of this uh, some of this bad mojo and uh, have a good laugh about it. But I think well, it was uh, my generation of comedians. I'm talking about Lenny Bruce, Mort Saul, and with a, and with a, with echo from uh, uh, Lord Buckley. 
there, there was at the, uh, the the comedy you know comedy the real comedy is just look at what's happening now they were saying and they'd bring that out that's what they talk about and uh, and it's even more so now what's happening now with all these connections this worldwide connections it's so ridiculous as to be kind of funny it's so absurd to be kind of but it's real and so we're, we have this free speech right, brother? Still. To, to, to still, to bring it out and continue. So I want to invite you back uh, next week. Thank you. And give us, because I can see that the spirit brought you, because you definitely, if I talk about reading between the lines of the New York Times, that's a, as an overall kind of analysis and picture of things, that seems to be kind of what you do. Is that right? Uh, well, I... I certainly muddle along in the darkness like the rest of us. A little light in the darkness. And one of the lights I want you to hear is uh, uh, E.K. Hey, Dave. So, so glad you're here. And the th this is the first time in a while on the air of Gathering of the, of the Three of Us, E.K., Val, and myself, for what we're now doing for the, its 12th annual Poems Under the Jodome. Is that right? Yeah, it's happening. It's coming up April 27th. That's a Thursday evening down at City Hall here in San Francisco from 5.30 to 8 p.m. It's going to be our open mic format as usual, so if you want to participate, come on down that evening and put your name in the, the big green leprechaun hat that Richard Ivanhoe always brings. And uh, I'll be going around and Val will be going around to a few places beforehand to grab some representatives from our various poetry communities in San Francisco. And uh, it's, you know, a lot of people have really been writing a lot in the past couple of months. I don't know. People are feeling really inspired, you know, and I know people, you know, I'm glad the comedy thing's happening because it's easy to get a little blue, you know, um, but there's, I think there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who are inspired by the opportunity to stand up and do something good. And there's, there's a lot of really powerful writing coming out of um, our poetry community in the Bay Area and like our, our larger poetry community. Like, and the arts generally. It's pretty cool, yeah, and the arts generally. And like, I think when we look at uh, what they call history, I call history, history, and hipstery, when you look at it, see like times of this, that's what happens. There's, always, there's a poetry renaissance for every force, force is equal and opposite force, we can say that uh, comes out in these times that's happening now, and where is it going to be? Right there in the very bowels, the bowels of Babylon, we call it. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about City Hall. So come on <laughs> Which through. is a beautiful <laughs> building. It is beautiful <laughs> for bowels. <laughs> and I just got a, a confirmation again from my friend Jorge Molina, who's been doing it every year. I don't think we've missed a every year. Every single year. Every single year where we do a, cer a ceremony, the Four Directions, yes. in City Hall. I think it's the only time in which there's some native to ceremony to the Four Directions, the Northeast, West. And here we are on Alomi land, and uh, yep. we need that. And I think that those, those drum sounds reverberate all year long. I think they do. So and and uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really, really fun time. And, you know, it, it occurred to me recently as I've been beginning beginning the invisible process of, of making Poems Under the Dome happen, as I do every year. I, yes, I believe I believe we are now on our third full board of supervisors. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? That like is year, cool. Year 16 will be our, our, our like, 
third term limited out, I think. Hmm. Something like that. Anyway, I don't know. The, it gets all difficult with fours and eights, but... You know, anyway, well, we it's, know. it's fun. This yeah. is our third board, though. Like. Yeah, Peskin and we've got back. yeah Peskin's back. Peskin's the original. Back. We're he excited about the that. first one. And I planted some seeds with Hillary Ronan that, uh, that because we like to have a reception. And uh, this boy, one of the boards, one of the board progressive members of the board, and they can help make that happen. And then they join the uh, the procession down the stairs. Yeah. Well, you know who else helped us out a little bit last year was was Supervisor Katie Tang from District 4. Katie Tang. She, she put in some good words for us last and, year. And, yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. And certainly Miss Kim. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, Jane Kim. And the president of the board. Um, London Breed. London Breed. So, I yeah, mean, everybody, sure. all of the supervisors have always been very supportive in one way or another. It's true. You know? They, and they like us. It's it, it, Yeah, which is great <laughs> because, you know, we, we which is kind of funny because, you know, we just kind of like roll in and take over City Hall for, for like a little while. Um, you know, obviously we get the, the proper permitting and, and such. Uh, but <laughs> point being, um, we've always uh, been uh, welcomed because we do uh, create this event as a public free all ages event inside city hall that welcomes people to come and participate which is not something that happens any other time of the year using your yep. first amendment uh, first amendment rights for sure well we still is, have them well which is uh i think which is to speak freely while we still have it. deep throat over to there whatever whatever <laughs> religious uh, he's a, a, well, whatever spiritual path and of course to assemble Together, <laughs> and uh, what we're talking about is that we're talking about assembling in City Hall, and why don't we invite these supervisors, each and every one, to bring a favorite poem and join us. And plus, I think Alejandra Magia, the poet laureate, is now really overdue for a change, and they're expecting. Oh yeah, it. we're we're waiting to hear the announcement of right. who our new poet laureate is. Right, he I already. Th- I think he already termed out. He's like, termed out. There's yeah, there's no poet laureate right we now. Are, we're we're in the waiting game. <gasps> okay. I wonder if they would announce it. I no, it's not going to be me. Not yet. I'm yeah. I'm too. I'm not old enough yet. Even she though has, I'm not young. Oh, well, well, I want to also. If, if they announce it. Which may very well happen. It could happen any day. Before happen any poems day. under the dome, of course we'll invite them, them, him, him, and her to come. I'm sure we probably know them already, probably quite well, to come and do the the opening poem. Is that right? Yeah, I would love, love, love for the new poet laureate to come and and read the first poem. We've we've got a little bit of a tradition of this. Our mm-hmm. first uh, San Francisco poet laureate to read the first poem was Diane De Prima, Damn. and that was back in 2010, I. think think was that right or was it before that anyway it's hard to remember but Diane De Prima um, came and read the first poem Uh, a couple years in a row she actually her her term like overlapped two poems under the dome and then we had Alejandro Murguia who most recently followed Diane De Prima and also he did he came two years in a row yeah he came two years in a row also and so I would love it if we had a new poet laureate in San Francisco who would read the first poem maybe we should maybe we should uh, send a I'll check in I'll check in with uh, with, you know because it's 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 all through the San Francisco Public Library so I'll use my I'll use my powers. I have some special librarian powers. And wait, before before I, I give up the 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 
talking piece here. I don't, let's not forget that the Mayor's Office of Neighborhood Services always helps us out. And Palms Under the Dome enjoys this sort of divine moment every year in April where the mayor's office and the board of supervisors all agree on something once a year. It's pretty cool. And it gets to be poetry. Like that's really nothing short of awesome. Under the dome. And they're not, but when they support us, they support a way that uh, people are speaking freely. There's no holds barred. And they come do that. And that's what happens each and every year. It's amazing. And I'm still here for this one. And I'd love to see that. And Diane is still with us, but she's uh, holding out. But it would be really nice to invite her, too. We do. Yeah. We do uh, extend the invitation. Uh, the, you, the, the, that's it. With the, the 430 now. I was close to it. The invitation extended to one and all. And here be some, uh, if you two want to end with a poem. Some poems. And then let's end with some. Uh, with yeah. Some, uh, we've got about, we've got uh, 10 Marie. minutes. Okay. Well, would you would you like me to give you a little poem? Love it. Okay. Yay. Well, you know, and I want to thank you, Val, for having me on a little earlier for our interview on the Women's Magazine about my trip to D.C. And I was talking about how um, at the Women's March in D.C., my, my sign is actually a line from a poet named Allegra here, Standing Rock. And, and that's the title of this piece. Here's my little part of a shared poem. We are all standing rock. I'm living proof of a failed genocide. Tears blaze a trail down my face, lampshade tight. I read the news that freedom-loving Americans want to do to Muslims what Hitler did to Jews. Freedom for you? For who? Not me and not you. Some Americans want to get rid of all the Mexicans. Does that mean me too? I don't know. And the rest of the immigrants, and you, what are you? Why do you think they're not coming for you? We are all standing rock. And of course, to me, they were so beautiful. We're all standing rock. And of course, the rock, the planet itself is a rock. It's a rock floating through space. I think I'm right about that. So we say we're all standing rock. We're here on the planet. It's a a standing rock, and we're all together in this. To hell with the fuck these borders. Let's come together as a human family, as a gathering of the tribes. Take it away, Val. And we're going to go out, in fact, with some Buffy St. Marie, who has a a new CD out called Power in the Blood. So take it away, Val. Do you have something you'd like to read? Take it away, Val. Oh, <laughs> well, well, take it away, Val. A beautiful show. Well, that was. I, um, love it. I, I feel like Ek's poem, um, just, just is just so, so hard hitting, um, and so, so true, um, and and really calls our attention to things that we need to pay attention to. Uh, so I'm just going to read this short little piece. Uh, it's about optimism. <laughs> so let's do it, folks. When the sunset looks like morning. And you pull from the dirty dishwater a flower that has fallen in. Life is more vital than grim. It has shone past the darkness, rinsed despite the grime. Birds fly low to hug the waters. There is a yes in every no. Wow. Yeah, wow. Let's be. Oh, let's have a group hug. <laughs> Dave. Here. Thanks, group Diamond hugs. Dave. And Thank he, you. And here be. And here be. It's Buffy St. Marie. 
Bobby St. Mead's been standing out there here saying it for so many years, and she has a new CD, Power in the Blood. And here be Buffy St. Marie, my generation, still speaking out. That's Buffy. right. And thank you, everyone, for being a part of the Common Thread Collective this and every Friday. Please come back and join us next week. We'll be here uh, from 3 till 6. Um, today, if you're listening, please come down and support Mutiny Radio by attending the Comedy Festival. <gasps> it's happening tonight. <laughs> Tomorrow and Yay. Sunday, um, hour-long showcases from underground comics from across the country, people traveling from far and wide to be here um, to share uh, their their art, uh, comedic art with y'all. So uh, come on down. It's going to be a good time. And uh, mad props to our, our uh, station director here, uh, Pam Benjamin, who has really uh, wrangled, uh, has been wrangling poet, uh, comics for years now <laughs> and has really built up a great um, base of of artists and creative folks who are part of the station. Um, either they have a show or they attend regularly. Um, but of course, we love all of our poets and musicians who come down to be part of the Common Thread Collective every Friday. So we'll be back next Friday. And if you, we will, yeah. That's for, as we are each and every Friday. I would just say, if you want to see the shoulders, some of the shoulders that the comics today is, today are standing on, go to YouTube. But in uh, uh, Lord Buckley, Lenny Bruce. And Mort Saul, these were uh, these at the, the they, these uh, well, Lord Bucket goes way back, but this is a tradition, a tradition emerging. I believe there's a strong connection between marijuana and that generation of comics <laughs> where people are feeling free. Bob Dylan, the Beatles, and uh, the Bob Dylan and the Beatles, Lenny Bruce, were all part, and it was Lord Buckley who passed it on for those days. Not the not Budweiser, but the wiser Bud. Right on. on. Nice. (laughs) So thanks, everyone, for being a part. Gary, for coming down. Uh, Jen, who's got her show every Saturday here of 2 to 4 p.m., Friends with Jennifits. And uh, (laughs) all everybody who's been a part. And uh, I do hope you tune in to Women's Magazine from today, March 3rd, um, because EK's... um, recounting of uh, the Women's March on Washington is um, some, it was a, a part of a historical record made right here today at Mutiny Radio. Thanks, Val. Thank you, E.K. And as uh, Diamond Dave said, uh, without further ado, here's Buffy St. Marie, her album, um, her album, uh, what, uh, what's it called? Um, Power in the Blood. And this song is called We Are Circling. Together, we are singing, singing our 
this topic. I won't say I've never talked, <laughs> but I've never talked about this topic, you know, the art and society. Of course, I've thought about it. My wife is a painter. I have artist friends. Some of my best friends <laughs> are artists. <laughs> Some of them are here observing me. Uh, but as I say, yeah, I, I've th thought about it. Of course, all of us have. And, uh, and what comes to mind when I think of the, you know, the relationship of the artist to society, what should be the relationship of the artist to society, and with me it's always a question of what, but I think of the word transcendent, which is a word I've never used in public. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the only thing I could come up with to describe uh, what I think about the role of the artist. And by that I mean, you know, not, you know, Immanuel Kant's, well, yes, sort of close to it, but not really <laughs> his idea of what is transcendent, something like it. But the, the idea is that the artist transcends the immediate, uh, transcends the here and now. The artist, well, transcends the madness of the world transcends the madness of terrorism, transcends the madness of war. And uh, the artist thinks outside the framework and acts and paints and does music and writes outside the framework that society has, has created. And, and the artist may do s no more than and I don't mean to minimize it by saying no more than. The artist may do more than you know, give us uh, beauty and laughter, uh, passion, surprise, drama. And that's, that's good. Uh, that is, the artist needn't apologize for just doing that, because in doing that, the, the artist is telling us what the world should be like, even if it isn't that way now. And the artist is, is taking us away from 
the moments of horror that we experience every day in this world, some days more than others, and, and showing us something else, showing us what is possible. There's no need for an artist to apologize about just giving us something that is passionate and beautiful and funny or any of those. No, no need to apologize for that. Yeah. But there is more. As the artist can do more, yes, should, should do more. Not only that, but more. Because the artist is also a citizen, the artist is a human being. I mean, I face that in a different way in that uh, if I'm, uh, if I can be classified, well, yeah, the, the society classifies me. I say, I'm a historian. That scares me. <laughs> to be classified, I'm a historian. See. But I don't want to be just a historian. And, but the, the society, uh, disciplines us. It puts us into a discipline. You're a historian. You're a businessman. You're an engineer. You're a this. You're a that. And the first thing somebody asks you at a cocktail party is, what do you do? <laughs> Which means, uh, you know, what, what is your profession? What is your, you know, how are you categorized? And the problem is that people begin to think that that's what they are and that's all they are, that they're professionals in something. And you hear the word professionalism being used, and people say, you've got to be professional. Whenever you hear the word, I get a little scared, because uh, that limits human beings to working within the limits set by this you know, profession. As a historian, I, I would face this, and there would be, during the Vietnam War, there would be meetings of, of historians. Uh, can you imagine what a wonderful feeling that is? To be among 2,000 historians at a meeting. Uh, and, uh, and I remember during the Vietnam War, this question was, at one of our great meetings of historians, the war was raging in Southeast Asia, and the question was, should historians take a stand on the war? And there was a big debate on this. Really, there's a big debate on this. And uh, some of us you know, introduced a resolution saying, you know, we historians think the United States should get out of Vietnam. A simple little thing. And then there were others who said, no. Uh, it's, not, it's not that we don't think the United States should stay in Vietnam. It's not that at all. It's just that we're historians. It's not our business. Hey, whose business is it? So the historian says it's not my business, and the businessman says it's not my business, and the lawyer says it's not my business, and you know, the artist says it's not my business, and whose business is it? You mean we're going to leave the business of the most important issues in the world to the people who run the country? I mean, how stupid can you be? <laughs> I mean, haven't we had enough experience historically with leaving the important decisions to the people in the White House or the people in Congress or the people in the Supreme Court or the people who dominate the economy? 
We've had lots of experience leaving the important decisions to them because the citizen doesn't know he's a citizen. He thinks he's only a doctor or a lawyer or a historian or an artist or whatever. But back in the 18th century, Rousseau said, you know, I see all sorts of people who are doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that, but where are the citizens among us? You know, everybody, everybody must be involved. There are no experts. Well, there are. I remember during the Vietnam War, I keep going back because that's, you know. There are certain historical moments when learning is more intense than at any other period. I mean, this is one of those moments, too, right now, after September 11th. But Vietnam was one of those moments when learning is compressed uh, into a short span of time and place. And one of the things we learned about during those years was about experts and about when the war started and people would ask questions, why are we there? <laughs> Say, well, listen to the experts. The experts would get on television and tell us why we're there. And I remember the British actor, an artist, right? Actors are artists. Uh, the British actor, Peter Ustinov, spoke out against the war in Vietnam. And then somebody said, Ustinov, he's an actor. <laughs> he's not an expert. And Ustinov replied, there are experts in little things, but there are no experts in big things. There are experts in this fact and that fact and that fact, but there are no moral experts. It's important to remember that, that all of us, whatever we do, have the right to make moral decisions about the world and undeterred by the cries that will come you're listening oh, you, to Howard Zinn, you don't know. author you're of next, but these the, people up there, they know. The People's History of the United well, States. Takes only a little bit and of history. And his books are trying to get banned in Alabama. How dangerous it is Imagine to that. think that the people who run the country know what they're doing. So the word transcendent comes to mind when I think of the role of the artist in dealing with the issues of the day. And, and I use the word transcendent to suggest that the role of the artist is to transcend the given wisdom, to transcend the word of the establishment, to transcend the orthodoxy, to transcend uh, to go beyond, to escape uh, what is handed down by the government, or what is said in the press, or what is said on television. Uh, because there are people in the arts and people in, in other professions uh, who think, uh, well, uh, yes, let's get involved. But let's get involved in the way we are told to be involved. And then you will see the artists and the, and the other people in professions uh, getting in line in the way that uh, uh, people are expected to get in line when the president says, this is what we must do 
and all everybody else in politics echoes that, and this is we, what we must do. And, uh, and, and you've, we've seen this all around now. I mean, how many times have I read in the press since September 11th, well, we must be united. Now, what do they mean by that? I would like us to be united, but united around what? And when people say we must be united, most of the time when they say this, they are saying either explicitly or implicitly, we must be united around whatever the president tells us to do. Dan Rather, right, TV anchor, anchored to the establishment. Uh, isn't that what an anchor man is? Uh, and Dan Rather gets up on national television and says, Bush is my president. When he says, get in line, I get in line. Did any of you read that? Yes, he said it. I mean, I, I make up some things. <laughs> but I didn't make that up, you see. And I thought, here is, here is a, a very important, influential journalist. And he has forgotten the first rule of journalism, which is think for yourself. He's forgotten what that great journalist, I.F. Stone, that, that, you know, the, uh, really, probably, you know, one of the several greatest journalists of the 20th century, what I.F. Stone used to say when, you know, he stopped working for the, for the major media. He, would, he, he was working for regular newspapers, and then he realized he couldn't be himself. He couldn't say what he wanted to do. And so he, he established his own little newsletter, I.F. Stone's Weekly, which became famous for giving you things that you couldn't get you know, anywhere else. And then I.F. Stone was in, would be invited to speak to classes of journalism students. And he would say, I'm going to tell you a number of things, but you really only have to remember if you really want to be a good journalist. You really only have to remember two words. Governments lie. <laughs> Very important to remember. Governments lie. I mean, not just the American government. Governments in general lie. Uh, and when I say all governments lie, that may sound like an anarchist statement. The anarchists have something there. <laughs> yeah. They're right to be skeptical and suspicious of people who hold governmental power because the tendency of people who hold governmental power is to lie in order to maintain that power. And rather when he said that, the president says, get in line, I get in line, he uh, violated that <laughs> you know, Hippocratic oath of journalists that is implied in the profession of journalism of think for yourself. It's the kind of statement you would expect from a journalist in a totalitarian state, not somebody living in a democracy. And then, talking about getting in line, and then you have Al Gore, who accepted his defeat graciously, so graciously, that he became 
humble, overwhelmingly humble, <laughs> so that when all of this happened, uh, Gore announced, Bush is my commander-in-chief. I thought, I don't think he's read the Constitution. The Constitution says that the president is the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. He's not the commander-in-chief of the country, of all of us, you see. Uh, but well, here were all these people rushing to get in line, rushing to, to get inside the perimeter you know, of power. You know. And it's the job of the artist to transcend that, to think outside the boundaries, to dare to say things that no one else will say. And uh, fortunately, we've, we've had, uh, all through history, artists who, who dared, dared to do that. Well, I think of Mark Twain, and here he was writing these, these great novels which everybody loved. The story is a wonderful, wonderful storyteller. But when the United States went to war in 1898 against Spain, and then after a quick defeat of Spain, what was called a splendid little war, uh, the United States went to war in the Philippines. That was not a splendid little war. That was a long and ugly war to subdue the Filipinos who wanted to run the Philippines themselves. Uh, a war which in its atrocities uh, foretold the war in Vietnam. Yeah. And Mark Twain became uh, one of the voices speaking out against that war. And when Theodore Roosevelt in 1906, and by then the, the war had been going on for five years, and there were several hundred thousand Filipinos dead. Well, you will not find much in your history books about how many Filipinos died in that war. But in 1906, the U.S. Army committed a massacre in the Philippines. You might call it an act of terrorism. That is, in the sense that innocent people were simply mowed down by an army unit. And, and Theodore Roosevelt sent a message of congratulations to the general who carried out the operation against these, these Moros, these Muslims in the southern Philippines who were virtually unarmed, who didn't know anything about modern warfare. Men, women, children just all mowed down every single one of them. And, and after Roosevelt congratulated the general for this great military victory, uh, Mark Twain denounced Roosevelt uh, for this and became one of the leading, leading protesters against the war in the Philippines. Uh, he stepped out of his role as a, just a storyteller whom everybody loved and got into the fray and dared to say things that so many people in the country were not saying. And of course, people then questioned his patriotism. Because as soon as you speak outside the boundaries, as soon as you say things uh, that are different than what the establishment is telling you to say, what the newspapers, what the media, what everybody, including leading intellectuals, are telling you to say, you know, as soon as you do that, the question of your patriotism arises. And uh, Mark Twain said about patriotism, 
and about loyalty, because people asked him, why aren't you loyal? He said, my kind of loyalty was loyalty to one's country, not to its institutions or its office holders. The country is the real thing, the substantial thing, the eternal thing. It is the thing to watch over and care for and be loyal to. Its institutions are extraneous. There it's mere clothing, and clothing can wear out, become ragged, cease to be comfortable, cease to protect the body from winter, disease, and death, to be loyal to rags, to shout for rags, to worship rags, to die for rags, that is a loyalty of unreason. This is important because in the present discussion, boundaries have been set, lines have been drawn, and people who go outside those boundaries and dare to criticize uh, official policy uh, are called unpatriotic you know, and disloyal. When they say that, when they accuse dissenters of that, they have forgotten the meaning of loyalty and the meaning of patriotism. Yeah. Patriotism does not mean support for your government. Patriotism means support for your country, as Mark Twain said. Or as Emma Goldman said, well, roughly around the same time, Emma Goldman, the feminist anarchist, said, uh, she gave a lecture on patriotism uh, and she said, I love the country, uh, but I don't love the government. And uh, to criticize the government when you think the government is wrong is the highest act of patriotism. And when somebody accuses you, I don't know if you will all face that situation, but if somebody accuses you of not being patriotic because you don't go along with whatever the government is doing, I think you ought to remind them about the Declaration of Independence. And that, according to the Declaration of Independence, and everybody praises the Declaration of Independence when it's hung up on a classroom wall, but not when people read it and understand it. Uh -huh. During the Vietnam War, a soldier was disciplined for putting up the Declaration of Independence on his barracks wall. But the Declaration of Independence says that governments are artificial creations. They're set up by people, by the people of the country. Governments are set up by the people of the country to achieve certain things, certain objectives. The equality of all people in their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So yeah, governments are artificial creations set up for those purposes. And when the government becomes destructive of those ends, as the Declaration said, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. That's serious. But that, that is democratic doctrine. That is the idea of democracy. And therefore, there are times when it is, becomes absolutely patriotic to point a finger at the government and say, the government is not doing what it should be doing to safeguard the right of people to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I don't think it would be wrong in our time, with everybody talking, oh, this is one world, globalization, uh, Yes, the world has shrunk. We're all part of the same planet. I mean, they talk that way, but do they mean it? 
you know. You could test out whether they mean it by suggesting that the words of the Declaration of Independence, the right to life, liberty, and property, apply not only to people in this country, but to people in other countries, to people everywhere. People everywhere in the world have the same right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so when the government becomes destructive of that, well, then it is patriotic to criticize, to oppose the government, to, to become a dissenter, to do what we always praised when it was done in other countries, in totalitarian countries, and we, we uh, looked upon the dissenters and the critics of those governments as, as heroes for daring to speak out. I wanted to point to some other artists who spoke out against war. E.E. E. Cummings. I sing of Olaf, glad and big, whose warmest heart recoiled at war, a conscientious objector. But though all kinds of officers, a yearning nation's blue-eyed pride, their passive prey did kick and curse, until for where their clarion voices and boots were much the worse, and egged the first-class privates on his rectum wickedly to tease by means of skillfully applied bayonets roasted hot with heat. Olaf, upon what were once knees, does almost ceaselessly repeat, there is some shit I will not eat. And Eugene O'Neill, the great playwright, and this was six months after Pearl Harbor. This is important because you know, E. Cummings was reacting to World War I, and other writers were reacting to World War I, because uh, of that great martial spirit that was summoned up in 1917 when they were getting the United States into war, and, and when uh, they were marshalling people into line, and, and the flag was being waved, and then the war was over, and people looked at the 10 million dead on the battlefields of Europe and asked, what was this all about? And then the, the disillusionment began to arise, and people began to think again. Because after that first wave of flag waving and bugles blowing and let's this, we gotta do this and look at the terrible things they did and look at the, and yes, and terrible things were being done. And so therefore we have to do terrible things. That's war. War is terrible things done on one side and terrible things done on the other side. And then after a while, the, the second thoughts come, uh, there are all these people dead, and what did we accomplish? What have we done? And that's what happened after World War I. That's what led to the writings of John Dos Passos and Ernest Hemingway and Ford Maddox Ford, and that great novel, that great anti-war novel by Dalton Trumbo, uh, Johnny Got His Gun, which I recommend to all of you. You can read it in one evening and uh, you won't forget it. Uh, but it's good to remember that. Even when the war is presumably a good war, because wars always look good at the beginning. They always look good at the beginning to a lot of people. 
because this, this rush of, of fervor based on something terrible that has been done and something that must be done in retaliation. And then only later does the, the thinking begin and the questioning begin. Eugene O'Neill was writing six months after Pearl Harbor and writing when the country was being mobilized for war. And this is, remember, this is the good war. You know there are good wars and bad wars. I used to think so until I was in a war. <laughs> and I thought, no, there are no such thing as good wars and bad wars. I had a student once who wrote on, on her paper, wars are like wines. They're good years and bad years, good wars and bad years. But she said, war is not like wine. War is like cyanide. One drop and you're dead. But Eugene O'Neill is writing in the midst of the, that early burst of war fervor after Pearl Harbor. So not an easy time to write this, but he, he wrote this to his son. It is like acid always burning in my brain that the stupid butchering of the last war taught men nothing at all that they sank back listlessly on the warm manure pile of the dead and went to sleep, indifferently bestowing custody of their future, their fate, into the hands of state departments, whose members are trained to be conspirators, card sharps, double-crossers, double and secret betrayers of their own people into the hands of greedy capitalist ruling classes so stupid they could not even see when their own greed began devouring itself. In the hands of that most debased type of pimp, the politician, and that most craven of all lice and job worshippers, the bureaucrats. Well, I mean, I would never use such strong language myself. <laughs> but I'm willing to quote it when somebody else says it. No. When I talk about thinking outside the boundaries, I'm thinking that one of the boundaries set for us uh, is the idea of national power, of our national power, and of our national uh, goodness that we are the superpower in the world and we deserve to be the superpower because we're the best and the greatest and we have the most democracy and the most freedom. And that's why terrible things are done to us uh, because we are the best. That's kind of arrogant. <laughs> and that also is a sign of the loss of history. And we need to be taken down a peg and taken down to the level of other nations in the world and other peoples of the world. We're, and you need, you, need, you need some history to be able to come down to earth and to see that the United States has behaved in the world like other imperial nations in the world. It's not surprising. We have to be honest about our country. If we're going to be anything, if there's anything an artist should be, if it's anything a citizen should be, is to be honest, to be able to look at yourself, to look at your country as honestly and as clearly as you look at what people do elsewhere. 
And just as you can examine the terrible things that people do elsewhere, you have to be willing to examine the terrible things that were done here and done by our government. Langston Hughes, and some of you may know his work, great African-American poet, Langston Hughes, wrote a poem called Columbia. Columbia meant for him this country, the United States. No, as Columbia has, you know, Columbus, Columbia, and that's us. He was addressing Columbia. He said, my dear girl, you really haven't been a virgin so long. It's ludicrous to keep up the pretext. You're terribly involved in world assignations and everybody knows it. You've slept with all the big powers in military uniforms, and you've taken the sweet life of all the little brown fellows in loincloths and cotton trousers. When they've resisted, you've yelled rape, being one of the world's big vampires. Why don't you come on out and say so, like Japan and England and France and all the other nymphomaniacs of power? But it's very hard when you're in a rich and powerful country, and a country with, yes, great traditions in terms of, yes, the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. Although I would claim that our greatest traditions and our greatest experience, our proudest experience, come not from what our governments of their lives, the government was sending the troops out and the police out and the National Guard out to shoot them down and club them down, have to think about what kind of what kind of country we want to be in the world and whether it is really important for us to be a superpower whether that's what we should take pride in that we are the strongest we are the richest we have the most nuclear weapons we have the most television sets and the most you know cars and this and that. Uh, is that the thing we want to be most proud of? And is that strength really strength? Or is it something else? One of the artists I think of when I think of somebody whose work is transcendent is uh, Joseph Heller, the author of Catch-22. If somebody right after World War II had written a book, a nonfiction book, pointing out the ambiguities in that good war, pointing out the bad things done by the supposed good guys in that good war. If somebody had written a book suggesting that the good war of World War II and the greatest generation were not necessarily the greatest and this was not necessarily good, that it was much more complicated than that, because war corrupts everybody who engages in it. Even if you start off being the good guys and they're the bad guys, soon you begin to begin, look like the bad guys because that's what war does to everybody. Somebody had written a nonfiction book like this would have been very difficult in, the, in that glow that accompanied World War II, but you could write a novel like Catch-22 and slyly, and artists can be sly, and slyly uh, point to things that, that take you outside the traditional thinking. 
And you can get away with it in fiction if people say, oh, well, it's fiction. But remember what Picasso said, art is a, a lie that tells the truth. Think about that. Art is a lie that tells the truth, meaning, right? Uh, uh, art goes away from reality and it makes up something, it invents something, and what it invents may be more accurate about the world than somebody who gives you a one, two, three photographic picture of the world. So Joseph Heller was one of these uh, people who used fiction to say things that probably couldn't be said easily in nonfiction. At one point, his protagonist, his crazy bombardier, Yossarian, crazy because he doesn't want to fly any more missions. He's had enough of war. That makes him crazy. If he wanted to fly and bomb, and do, yeah, he'd be sane. But he's crazy. And at one point, he's in a, a brothel in Italy. And he's talking to an old Italian man. And he's puzzled by what the man says. Because the man says, oh, America will lose because she is so strong. Italy will survive because she's so weak. He wasn't talking about the war, or losing or winning the war. He was talking about in the long run of history, America will lose because she's so strong. Italy will survive because she's so weak. It makes you think again about what is strength and what is weakness. And how the strong, by extending their strength onto every other place in the world, because they're so strong, become more and more vulnerable, and as a result, ultimately weaker. Yossarian also asks, when they're about to go out on a bombing run, so do you guys realize that we're going to bomb a city that has no military targets, no railroads, no industries, only people. Uh, Heller had been in the Air Force. He understood the nature of bombing and how so often in bombing, you pretend that you're bombing military targets and you believe it, but it's the nature of bombing that you never only bomb military targets. Uh, it's the nature of bombing. Bombing, no matter what they tell you, no matter all these generals who, military experts who get up and they talk about smart bombs. Bombs are by their nature very dumb. And bombs, and well you just saw what happened in Afghanistan. One of our smart bombs hit a UN building and killed four UN workers whose job was removing mines from the land in Afghanistan. So what Yusarian said rings true, you know, rings true, you know, even, even today. I mean, there's so many examples of artists who have spoken out, either in their art or, or just as citizens. I mean, it's possible to speak out in your art and 
Joseph Heller did it, and Kurt Vonnegut did it in, in Slaughterhouse-Five. Uh, again, you know, here's the good war, but Kurt Vonnegut writes about the bombing of Dresden in which perhaps 100,000 civilians talk about killing innocent people. 100,000 people die as a result of the British and American bombing raids over Dresden. Now, to write about that uh, and denounce it in nonfiction would have been very, very difficult, uh, again, in that glow of the greatest generation in World War II, a glow which they keep, they keep bringing back to us uh, to make any war that we're going through ennobled by its connection with World War II. But Vonnegut could write fiction about the bombing of Dresden, and a fiction, of course, which was, which was very, very true. During the Vietnam War, artists spoke out in different ways against the war. Robert Lowell, the poet, was invited uh, to the White House, and uh, he refused to come. Arthur Miller, the playwright, uh, was invited to the White House, and he sent a telegram to the White House. The telegram said, when the guns boom, the arts die. The singer, Eartha Kitt, was invited to the Rose Garden. <laughs> You've never been to the Rose Garden of the White House? <laughs> there was a sort of, uh, it was one of those lovely social events taking place during the Vietnam War. And Eartha Kitt, who was just supposed to be a singer, just an artist, not paying any attention to the world, raised her voice and said, why are we in Vietnam? It was shocking. Uh, an artist was not supposed to do that. But artists were doing all sorts of things at that time uh, to show that they were citizens and they were thinking outside the boundaries, and that they were tra transcending the given wisdom. There was a, an artist named Seymour Chwast who did a poster which was reproduced and reproduced and reproduced all over. It was a very simple poster and just said, War is good for business. Invest your son. There was great music during the, that was brought forth during the Vietnam era by artists who insisted on not just, uh, not just being artists and musicians, but who were so moved by what was going on in the world they had to say something. And so uh, Bob Dylan uh, wrote his song, Masters of War. I'll just read a little of it. I'm certainly not going to sing it. <laughs> Come, you masters of war, you that build the big guns, you that build the death planes, you that build all the bombs, you that hide behind walls, you that hide behind desks, I just want you to know I can see through your masks. You that never done nothing but build to destroy, you play with my world like it's your little toy. You put a gun in my hand, then you hide from my eyes, and you turn and run farther when the fast bullets fly. I'm skipping a few stanzas. You've thrown the worst fear that can ever be hurled, fear to bring children into the world, for threatening my baby, unborn and unnamed. You ain't worth the blood that runs in your veins. Let me ask you one question. Is your money that good? Will it buy you forgiveness? Do you think that it could? I think you will find when death takes its toll, all the money you made will never buy back your soul. And uh, you get the impression that I'm against war. Uh, 
and that I think at a time when all the bugles are blowing for war and all the, uh, you know, all the voices on television and the, the government spokesmen and the media people are, are not questioning, are getting in line. And they're not questioning, should we do this? They're questioning, how should we do this? And uh, should we use ground troops or should we use the airplanes? And the trick in thinking transcendentally is, is to think, what questions aren't they asking? Uh, what are they assuming that we accept? And, and they're burrowing down into the question of, uh, should we do it this way and should we do it that way? Instead of asking the question, should we be doing this? And of course, I'm, I'm telling you all this at a time when it is, you know, uh, unpopular to speak against the bombing that is now going on. Because all these voices around us are telling us it's the right thing to do, it's the only thing to do. And they're saying that they're rushing from one truth, one undeniable truth, to uh, a false conclusion. They're rushing from the undeniable truth that some fanatic group killed 6,000 innocent people in New York and Washington. They're jumping from that undeniable truth to, therefore, we must bomb. And that's where people need to be careful about these jumps that are made. Because the first thing is true, and then you have to be very, very careful about where you move from there. Because the next question to ask is, therefore, what shall we do? And not, well, we know what to do, because this is what we've always done. We've always met violence with violence. Well, if, if you had any sense of history, if you knew some history, you would look at the various instances in which we have met violence with violence and asked what was the result? Or in which other countries have met violence with violence and asked what was the result? And it would help to redefine the word terrorism because what happened in New York was an act of terrorism. But to isolate it from the history of terrorism will mislead you very dangerously. And this act of terrorism exploded in our faces because it was right next door and, they, and we could see these people and they were, you know, you know right, right here. But the, there have been acts of terrorism going on for a long time all over the world. And the idea of bringing that up is not to diminish what happened and not to minimize the terror of what happened in New York, but to enlarge our compassion beyond that. Otherwise, we will never understand what happened and what we must do about it. Because uh, when you enlarge the question and define terrorism as, yes, the ugly killing of innocent people for some presumed political purpose, then you find that all sorts of nations have engaged in terrorism, as well as individuals and groups, and that there is such a thing as state terrorism, 
along with individual and group terrorism. And when states commit terrorism, that's when nations commit terrorism, they have far greater means at their disposal for killing people than single individuals or groups. I mean, the United States has been responsible for acts of terrorism. Now, it's uh, difficult to say that. When you say that, people say, oh, you're trying to minimize what was done. No, not trying to minimize. Trying to enlarge. Trying to broaden our scope. Trying to understand. The United States and England have been responsible for the deaths of large numbers of people, of innocent people in the world. You know. And it doesn't take too much history to, to see that. To think of Vietnam, to think of Laos and Cambodia, to think of Central America, to think of 200,000 dead in Guatemala as a result of a government that the United States armed and supported. I know all this is unsettling. We don't want to hear criticism of the United States government when we have been the victims of a terrorist act. But we have to think about terrorism in the largest sense and how we are going to stop it. And, uh, and we have to ask the question, is bombing going to stop it? Or is further terrorism going to stop it? Because war is terrorism. Because war in our time inevitably involves the killing of innocent people. And it may not immediately be, you know, can't match the killing of 6,000 people. No, we've only killed a handful of people in Afghanistan. But we've more than matched that at other times. And there are perhaps a million people who have died in Iraq as a result of sanctions that we uh, have enforced and imposed. And, you know, it's not, a, and it's not a matter of measuring, oh, they killed more than us, so we killed more than them. We have to see all of these things as terrorist acts that have taken place in the world, and what can we do about it? And decide that you can't respond to one terrorist act with war, because then, you are engaging in the same kind of thing that terrorists engage in. And that is, the, think, the thinking goes like this. Well, yes, innocent people died. Too bad. But it was done for an important purpose. It was collateral damage. You must accept collateral damage when you're doing something very important. That's how terrorists justify what they do. That's how nations justify what they do. Yes, so I'm asking all of us to transcend what is coming at us on all sides and, uh, and to think carefully and clearly. Because if we are all going to be herded into actions which are more dangerous, more dangerous than, even than what we are facing now, you know, then we will later regret the fact that we went all along silently and didn't raise our voices as citizens to ask, how can we get at the roots of this problem? And what can we do about it? And all of us can do something, can speak up. That's the most important thing, ask questions. It's the American thing, it's the patriotic thing to do, to question, to ask, to rethink. I want to end by reading a the work of another artist, a poet, Daniel Berrigan, longtime anti-war activist. Uh, even after the Vietnam War, he continued, uh, uh, continued struggling against war and militarism. And he wrote this poem 
in memory of a friend of his, a man named Mitchell Snyder, who had worked for the homeless in Washington, D.C., and then at a certain point, worked for years and years and years for the homeless and became disconsolate at, at what the government was unable to do, even while the government was building jet planes and bombers and nuclear submarines and, and nuclear missiles, and the government didn't have enough money to take care of the problem of the homeless, and he became disconsolate, and, and he killed himself one day. And, uh, and Dan Bergen wrote this in loving memory, Mitchell Snyder. Some stood up once and sat down. Some walked a mile and walked away. Some stood up twice, then sat down. I've had it, they said. Some walked two miles, then walked away. It's too much, they cried. Some stood and stood and stood. They were taken for fools. They were taken for being taken in. Some walked and walked and walked. They walked the earth, they walked the waters, they walked the air. Why do you stand, they were asked, and why do you walk? Because of the children, they said, and because of the heart, and because of the bread. Because the cause is the heart's beat, and the children born, and the risen bread. So, all right? Collective, you're listening to a little Howard Zinn there at the end. We're moving into the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival coming up at 6 o'clock. It's the newbie show. Comedians that have been doing comedy for less than two years, but you never know it. Why did we tell you that? Why did I lift the veil like that? What an asshole I am. But you should come anyways or listen to the podcast coming up after this. It's going to be a great show all night. Uh, we've got Pervert Fervor playing right now, warming up for the 7 o'clock music backed comedy uh, hosted by Jesus. You better work. 7 o'clock tonight, 8 o'clock, Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse. Just like always, we're going to have a good time with comedians uh, headlining sets at 9 o'clock by East Coast versus West Coast. It's a battle, everybody. Tony Sparks versus Andy Picaro. Which side of... Which, which large man is funnier? Uh, then at 10 o'clock, it's the underwear show. Oh my gosh, we only have one girl in her underwear. The rest are skinny, bizarre-looking men. Well, the, at least the, uh, the host is... Jeff and I. So stay tuned to Mutiny Radio and uh, keep listening to Pervert Fervor.
Can you tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. Yo, that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. This is Tusser Matters with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station, the ruling nation. Give it to me every time. Ah! Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere fun. $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsidai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Oh. 
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRack. <laughs> SF brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. The second annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is coming March 1st through 5th, 2017 to San Francisco, featuring 25 shows in five days and 50 comedians from across the entire U.S., from Washington and Portland to Los Angeles, New York to Indiana, Tennessee to Pennsylvania, these comics will join San Francisco's best underground comedians for five days of comedy at Mutiny Radio. All shows will be live streaming and available after via podcast at www.mutinyradio.fm. But see them live in our intimate 30-seat performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Mission, March 1st through 5th. Tickets available on our website, www.mutinyradio.fm now. Brought to you by our generous festival sponsors, Alta California Botanicals, Destiny's Mom, what a Tomato Produce Company, the law offices of John P. Strauss III, Asiento, FruFruHot.com, Jankytown.org, Brooke Heineken, Pervert Fervor, and Trina Roderick. Asiento. This locally owned Mission neighborhood bar and restaurant is excited to be a sponsor for the festival. We hope you'll join us any night of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival for happy hour pricing all night long. Just mention that you are an audience member for happy hour pricing March 1st through the 5th at Asiento. Our address is 2730 21st Street at Bryant Street, just a half a block away from Mutiny Radio. Asiento has a warm, friendly neighborhood vibe that's perfect for an after-work drink or for a night out. Featuring a comfortable bar and extensive tapas menu, this is the perfect place for groups that want to get together for drinks and food. Join us at Asiento. Whoa there. What a tomato! Where did you find such a nice tomato? What a tomato? I know, I just said that. Where'd you get that fine heirloom? What a tomato. Look, man, this isn't a come on. Just tell me where you got that beautiful tomato. 
What a tomato. No, no, seriously. I actually want to eat a tomato. I love tomatoes. Where did you get